guys, I'm excited about tonight. I want to welcome our Boardman campus. They're coming online right now, and hello to everyone in Boardman. Here in Warren, can we give it up for our Boardman campus? Guys, I have this privilege, it's a pleasure, just to take the first part of tonight and to share vision, and then I'm going to go so far, and then Pastor Joe Jr., he's going to take over in Boardman and finish it out, and Pastor Ryan's going to come up here and finish it out, and we have some more worship songs, but I have the privilege of just opening it up, and I am so excited about this. You know, this coming August, this coming August will be 40 years as a church, And that number is really amazing because in the Bible, 40 years is quite a demarcation. It is an amazing demarcation. And so I've been thinking about it. Our leaders, we've been thinking about it. Man, there's a lot of uh, symbolism, a lot of significance. And if you just look at the life of Moses, Moses, uh, the first 40 years, he was in he, he was in, uh, you know, Egypt. He, he was in, 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 in just living as a king. And then the next 40 years, he's on the backside of, a, of the desert, and God's using him. Um, he's using him and making him become a shepherd, and he's doing that in the natural, but God's preparing him for the last 40 years. So 40 years, 40 years, and then the last 40 years, from 80 to 120, God uses him to deliver Egypt. And it's just amazing to watch what 40 years mean. And so uh, we began to think about what does God want to do with believers? Because here I am in Boardman and Warren. I'm talking to our dream team. I'm talking to those of you uh, that are helping us uh, reach a city and see a city connected with God. And so mostly dream teamers are with us. And then we have people that are doing uh, their dream teamers too, connect groups. They're leading connect groups. Then we have some of you that help us with all our outreaches. And then we have some of you just just came. You want to hear more about our vision, and we're excited. We're excited that you're here. So uh, we know what's coming. We know something just marvelous is coming. So we're asking ourselves, where does God want to take us as a church? So about six months ago, we began to think about that and really give it a lot of thought. And that meant a lot of meetings in processing. And for those of you that know me really well, I hate meetings and uh, I hate processing. And so I'm, I'm more like a gunslinger. Just, I just want to pull out and start shooting, right? And, and, uh, and, but I knew we had to do this. But what was amazing is we found a vehicle to help us do it. And it was an amazing vehicle. And uh, we're, still, we're still working with it. But here's what happened. We would get in those meetings And guys, it was the most amazing thing. I'd walk out of those meetings and I couldn't wait for the next meeting. And I couldn't wait for the next meeting. And we're just watching God show us where he wants to take us over the next 40 years. And it's an amazing thing. Now, I I want you to know, you probably guessed, I won't be here for the whole next 40 years, right? Uh, That would put me up there to 103 or 104. But I really believe God's going to use me to get it started, right? And I'm excited about uh, the transitions that will come down the road. But here's what I'm really excited about, what God began to show us. And, you know, as we walk through COVID, as difficult as COVID was, uh, it was really difficult, and we all can look back and we remember not just to shut down. Some of us lost people we loved dearly, and we, we remember how difficult that couple years was. But for me, as I walked through COVID, uh, God also opened my eyes up to some things. It was a great opportunity for me because I realized there were a lot of people that were here 
that we hadn't discipled yet. We just hadn't gotten them to the place where they need to be. And I watched COVID knock them off the tree of God, and it grieved my heart so much. And, and it began to allow God to show me some things uh, that we were doing great things, but how can we do it even better, right? How can we take it to the next level? How can we make sure we never lose those people? Because they're not going to church somewhere else. They're not staying away because they can't come. I, I go through stores, and, 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 and guys... I'm in stores, people come up and tell me, hey, I see on TV, but other people, I see people that come to church here, but they haven't been here since COVID, and they'll just look at me, they go, I gotta get back, I gotta get back, and I say, well, man, I'll be praying for you, make sure you come back, but they just, they weren't at that level that so many of you are, so I know I'm preaching to the choir, but God wants us, the choir, to help people go to the next level, right? So we began to pray, Lord, what is it you want, want us to do, and in the new year, we'll be showing you vision that's just, I think, absolutely amazing, I think it's going to take all of us and take our valley to the next level. And it will take me to the next level, you to the next level. So I'm really excited about it. I'm going to reveal just a portion of it uh, tonight, right? And just, just a sneak preview. And it's similar, but it's different. And I want to show you what, what, what it is. And here's uh, the main conclusion we came to, guys, of where we believe God is taking us. And it goes like this. We feel God is calling us to become a multiplying movement or missional movement of disciples making disciples. And where have we been? And we've done an incredible job as a church. Um, through my messages, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always getting people to the next level, becoming disciples. But some folks need to be helped in that. They need us to help them become disciples. And I want you to hear this one more time. We're going to become a multiplying missional movement of disciples making disciples. So we, we asked ourselves, okay, five years from, from now, five years from now, where can we be? How many disciples can we make? We asked ourselves, 10 years from now, how many disciples we can make? And it's so exciting when we plotted it out and we took a look at the possibilities. And you're probably wondering, where can we be, right? I can't tell you tonight. And here's why. You probably wouldn't believe me. It's just absolutely amazing. But what we're going to do is when we reveal it and we show you the vehicles God's given us and the ideas, uh, because you know what? Culture has changed, but God has a plan to reach culture. God has a plan to reach the people of this nation. And God has a plan to reach those people that come, but they just, you know, they're coming, but they're not hooked up. They're not disciples. And God has a plan. And we have a, a plan that we're so excited about. So our goal is to just help God become, us become disciples that are making disciples, a missional movement. And I get so excited every time we go into a meeting and we spend four or five hours and we're talking about where God wants to take us. Normally that would just fry my brain. And now I'm just excited because I'm seeing what God wants to do through you and what he wants to do through me. And again, we're disciples. That's why we're here, right? The vast majority of us uh, in this place and in Borman, we're disciples. But in case there's some of you, you're here and you're not 100% sure, like, what does a disciple look like? It's a simple definition. It goes like this. A disciple defined is a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ and his teachings. And again, I want to thank you guys because you are disciples of Christ. But I think you're like I am. And this is the attitude I have. And God challenges me constantly. 
I always want to take it to the next level. How about you? Do you want to take it to the next level? And I really believe the next level is God using us to help make disciples and make more and more disciples. So I'm really excited about it. And uh, so we thought about what could we title this uh, night, right? And we titled it something really cool. We went off of Jeff Foxworthy. How many of you know who Jeff Foxworthy is? He, he's the comedian, right? And a while back, he, he did... Uh, a lot of comedy where he said, you might be a redneck if, right? And if you Google it, there's thousands of little things that he said. But I like, I, like, I thought I'd share a couple of them with you. And then I'll tell you where we're going. You might be a redneck if, if, if birds are attracted to your beard. I like that one. That's pretty cool. Um, you might be a redneck if going to the bathroom at night includes finding a flashlight and shoes. That's a good one too. <laughs> How about this? You might be a redneck if your senior year of high school is the fifth grade. I like that one too, man. I like that one. And so I just get excited when I read those. I love to hear him talk about that. But here's what we want to do tonight. Uh, we want to talk about you might be a disciple if, and we just want to share five things. And I'll share the first three, and then Pastor Joe Jr.'s coming on, Pastor Ryan's coming on, and they'll close this message out. And I wanted you to hear their voices. And over in Boardman, Pastor Joe Jr. has some exciting vision to share with you. But I have this privilege of the first three. And so you might be a disciple. Here's the first one, guys. You might be a disciple if you're going. And, and that's really what God wants us disciples to be doing, to be going. We're going somewhere. There's something God wants us to do. And here's the greatest scripture Great Commission. Listen to Matthew 28, verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Notice, go and make disciples. And, and for us, we may not be going to the, all over the world. We, we support missionaries. We have some missionaries to come out of here. But God wants us to do that in the valley, right? He wants us to make disciples in the valley, and we have to go. There's some things we need to do, and we've got a plan, and we're so excited about it. And so you're a disciple, but we want to help just disciple thousands and thousands of people. Uh, listen to this, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end. And you know, what's really interesting, and, and I, I know we probably shared this before in one way or another, but a recent Gallup poll shows that 95% of Christians have never led anyone to the Lord. And I don't say that in a condemning way. I have the privilege of doing it from the pulpit, right, week in and week out. But I, I can tell you it's not because of disobedience we don't do that. It's not because of disobedience. We're not helping make disciples. Disobedience has nothing to do with it. It's just that we're not sure how to do it, and we don't have confidence in the message. And I really believe that's important. You and I have to have confidence in the message. So I was recently, um, this past Tuesday, by the way, at the Franklin Graham Crusade, and I want to thank our volunteers here at the Warren campus and the Borman campus. I went there Tuesday night, and I saw tons of believers, volunteers, and some of you were there from opening at 8 a.m., and you shut it down, and others you had to work, but you came over and helped in, in the nighttime. So can we give it up for the volunteers here in Warren and in Borman? Thank them. I, I was so proud. I was so proud. And uh, so when it first started, they had uh, newsboys there, you know, and some other music, a musical guy that was really good. He was an incredible guitar player. And uh, I sat in the third row, and the first guy was great, uh, and, and he was fine as far as the music level goes and everything. But then the newsboys came out, and I had all these bass speakers in front of me. 
and I'm just three rows back, and I can take loud, but those bass speakers, they were going through my body, and I felt my organs vibrating. And I thought, this is like a microwave. They're going to cook. So I went way to the back. I just went and stood in the back. I thought, I am going to cook my organs. And so I stood in the back and just enjoyed it. It was fun. I saw tons of believers, people, and I'm talking to people everywhere and having a great time. But then when Franklin Graham came out, I went back up to the front area, and I'm sitting there, and I'm listening. And I was a little bit surprised, and I'm not saying this to speak down to him. I'm going to lift him up, actually. But I was surprised. He read his sermon, and I didn't expect to see him read his sermon, but wow, was it well-written, and he's a good reader. So he did an amazing job uh, with it. But I was a little surprised because I was familiar with his father, Billy Graham, and, and Billy Graham had some notes, but uh, you, know, you wouldn't see him reading his message. And Billy Graham ministered. Did you know he ministered to over two billion people. And if you, you watch some clips from the queen recently dying and going to heaven, the queen of England, um, you found out that her and Billy Graham had a very special relationship. Every time he was in England, she wanted him to come. She was a follower of Christ, and that's pretty exciting. And she did everything she could to bring Christ into that nation. So Billy Graham was amazing. I remember we were in Bible school, and we had about 1,200 kids in chapel, and, and I'll never forget, uh, whoever was leading, they said, hey, if you met Christ through Billy Graham crusade, would you stand up? A third of our class stood up. I just want you to think about the impact this guy had. So I'm sitting there, and I'm listening to Franklin. And Franklin, his son, is one of the most amazing administrators I have ever heard, just absolutely, or watched, or, or, or seen with Samaritan's purse. He's absolutely amazing. But he just wasn't his father but I'm sitting there, there's about 5,000 people's my guess, and I'm watching and I'm listening. But here's what blew my mind. When he said, not raise your hand, he said, stand up. I saw hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people stand. And I just smiled and I thought, you know what? There's something he had. It was enthusiasm, it was passion. And even though he wasn't at the level of his dad, because he was speaking the truth and he was speaking the gospel, God was able to do amazing things through him. And sometimes we don't realize how powerful the word of God is and how powerful our message is. We don't realize how powerful the commands of Jesus is and the teachings of Jesus. And man, guys, when those things begin to come out of our mouth. We don't have to be professional like Billy. We don't even have to be at the level of Franklin. We just have to let the word of God come out of our mouth and let the message of God come out of our mouth. And God will work on the people's hearts. And we can take thousands and thousands of people and bring them into a place of discipleship. And again, I think passion is the key. So my son, Pastor Joe Jr., he shared a video with me. He said, Dad, we should show this uh, on team night. He said, it just shows having passion. And they call it the, the corn evangelist. And how many of you have seen the corn evangelist? It's this cute young man. He is so cute. And he loves corn. And here's what I want you to think about. And it has to be on the cob, and he loves it. But I want you to think about this. As you watch it, I'm showing it for a specific reason. I want you to think, what if we love Jesus that much? And I know we love him, right? But I don't know about you. I remember back when I first met Jesus, I didn't know a thing, but I, I led so many people to the Lord and I influenced and impacted so many people's lives. You know, I, I was just excited about Jesus. And I really think this video does something that's really, really special. So it's just a, it's just a minute. But again, I want you to watch it thinking, what if I was that passionate about Jesus? And then I'll come back on. So let's, let's enjoy the video. 
What do you like about corn? Ever since I, I was told that corn was real, it tasted good. Did you think corn wasn't real? But when I tried it with butter, everything changed. I love corn. Mmm, corn. Do you think everyone should be eating corn? No, not everyone has to like it to be the best. Yeah. Everyone just has to try it. Have a bite. What else are your favorite things? I play a variety of games. Hide and seek, hag, Neville Lava Monster. Yeah, mostly cold. I mean, then look at this then. I can't imagine a more beautiful thing. It's corn! It's corn! Because corn is awesome! Can you describe corn to someone who's never tasted it before? A big lump with knobs. It has the juice. It's the part that mostly makes me like the corn. How much do you think corn should cost? One dollar. I hope you really have a corn-tastic day. A corn-tastic day? What? It's just a pun about corn. <laughs> if you or anyone loves corn, if you come to me, I can tell you all about it. Do you like corn? No. Have you ever had corn before? No. You give it up for this young man. I'll tell you what, this is a true story. I watched this, you know, just to see if I wanted to fit it into the message. And I was amazed at how much he loved corn. But here's what, what happened. I couldn't stop thinking of corn. And uh, not in a bag, not frozen. It had to be on the cob. And so I watched it. And a couple days later, uh, this past Tuesday, I'm in an all-day retreat. And uh, uh, they asked me... Uh, Back in, in, in December, they asked me if I would uh, sit on the executive board of the Youngstown Warren Chamber. They've never had a pastor on that board ever. And so they asked me to sit on it. And I felt, you know what? I feel God's made me for such a time as this. So I was excited. And this past Tuesday, we had the regional or the yearly retreat. And so we're in meetings all day long. And it was so fun. But that night, a guy in Canfield opened up his home and we went to his house to eat. And I'm going to look at what's there. And they catered it. And there's chicken, barbecued chicken, barbecued ribs, and then there's mac and cheese. And I stayed away from that because it makes me congested, right? But, but then it was corn on the cob. And my mouth began to water. I am, I am not jiving. And uh, I just said, I can't wait to eat this corn. He, this kid's made me think about corn. Now, guys, corn does not have the anointing on it, right? It's not the word of God. It's not the words of Jesus. It's not all that anointed, but guys, his passion made me want corn. And I really believe God's wanting us to come up to, to another level. And so many of you have this passion. But even myself, I have this passion. But I really believe God wants me to take it to the next level in my life. And God wants us to come to this level where people get around us and they just want what we have, right? Because we're passionate. And if someone can be passionate about corn and make me want corn, and that's all I'm thinking about, corn, and I'm not really a big corn fan, but I want some corn, what can we do with Jesus and the power of that anointing, right? So it's interesting. There's something about passion. There's something about an organic movement of God. And that's what we're praying for for the next 40 years, for this thing to turn organic. And I think about uh, Jesus had 12. And then it turns into 144. 
Then it turns into 3,000. Then it goes up to 5,000. And do you know it went up to millions after that? And they say the church at Ephesus, minimum, minimum attendance at the church of Ephesus was a million people way back in Bible days. And it went to millions and millions. But it was these 12 unlearned men. And some of them were learned, but most of them weren't. Most of them were fishermen and you know, uh, just did things that had nothing to do with God, did not have formal training. But God... They just took a hold of his passion, and God changed the world. And I really believe we've done an incredible job. I am so thankful for the job and for what God's done through believers, what he's done through you guys, and where he's taken us. But I'm really excited about where we're heading. And uh, Pastor Joe Jr. was telling me about a girl, a young lady at the Borman campus, and she made this her goal. Her goal is to invite someone to church every week. And so here she is wanting to invite someone to church and she's doing it, but she had a couple down weeks where nobody would come and she was feeling a little down, but she told Pastor Joe Jr., she said, you know what? I just stuck with it. And she said, uh, it, this just happened now a couple weeks ago. She brought someone to church and they were so impacted by church that they literally signed up for growth track and, and they signed up for a connect group. And she was so elated. And I want to thank her for having that passion. And I'm just praying, God, take me up to that level. God, take all of us up to that level, right? So we might be a, a, a disciple if we're going. And many of us are going, but I believe God wants to take us to the next level. Here's the second one. And, and I really like this one. You might be a disciple if you're failing. And did you know that's a sign of a disciple? Uh, the Bible says a righteous person can fall seven times, but they keep getting up. So it's not about failing. It's about, are you getting up? Disciples get back up, right? But disciples fail. And I was trying to think of my early days. I met Jesus at 19, but it, it was just a, a like two months from my birthday. And, and, and then I was 20. And I remember as a 20-year-old Christian and a 21-year-old Christian, I just passionately began to follow Jesus. I'm like a lot of you. I didn't even need someone to tell me. I just did it. But most people aren't like us, right? They need someone to help them become a disciple. That's why we want to become a missional movement of disciples making disciples. But I struggled with so many things. And you know what? I'm ashamed to say it, but I'm not ashamed anymore because I, I, I overcame it. But I had a tremendous problem with anger and with cussing. And I just struggled with getting angry and cussing. So one minute I'm inviting someone to church, the next minute I'm angry and cussing. And, uh, and, and then I would, I remember when it first happened, I would say, God, I must not have gotten saved. I must, I must need to meet Jesus again. And I kept going back to meet Jesus. Like, Jesus, I guess it didn't catch. I, I need more of you, Jesus. And so I went months and years doing that. And then I just realized God opened up my eyes one day, go, Joe, you're going to grow out of that. But what makes you a disciple is you keep going. And all of us in this room, we have some areas where we can become better, right? We can grow further. But here's the thing. The very fact that you know it means you're a disciple. The very fact that you want to become better means you're a disciple. The very fact that you keep getting up and you keep following God means you're a disciple. And it's amazing to watch. I look back at my 40 plus years as a Christian and I just watch. And I am thankful to tell you, I'm not becoming angry and cussing anymore. Guys, can we give it up for me? I'm not cussing anymore. I got over it, right? I got through it. Tons of things I struggled with. And you know what? To this day, there's still some things I'm trying to grow out of. We're all trying to grow out of things. And you know what? What's important is 
if you're a disciple, you're failing. And that means that's good because you know that you're failing and you're going to walk through it and you're going to go to the next level. So I wanted to encourage you with that one. And, and this next one's really important too. You might be a disciple if you say, I can worship anywhere, anyway. And that is important. I like to say it this way. It's not about my preference, but it's about his presence. And I think most of you are like me, right? It's not about my preference, but it's about his presence. And we come to a place to where we realize it's all about hungering for God's presence through the word of God that we read, through the word of God that we hear, and through the worship of God. And I know we're people of his presence, but God had to really work with me in this area. But I'll tell you a funny story. Um, there are guys in the church here, they will text me and say, are you preaching this weekend? And if I say no, they don't come to church. And, uh, and so I tease them. I say, guys, you need to come to church. Well, I just want to hear you. And th there's a carnal part of me just for a second that's kind of flattered, like, ooh, I'm just great. And, and, uh, but then I realize I'm not. And, and, uh, and, and I realize, oh, man, I need to help them get to the next level, right? Because, guys, here's what I learned. When I was a young Christian, I would go to these meetings, you know, and I would always try to go one or two big meetings a year. Even as a pastor, I would try to do that in the early days, and I looked to see who was speaking. And if it was someone I, I didn't know or didn't like, I just would stay home for that meeting. And, uh, and then I'd go to another one, right? And Gina would get on my case. You need to go to all the meetings and say, well, I like this speaker. I don't like that speaker. And this speaker really ministered to me. That speaker doesn't minister to me. And, and so God had to really deal with my heart. And I remember when I had a heart change and I just realized, you know what? It's, it's not the speaker. It's me. And it's what I'm pulling off of them. And it's the word of God. And, and it amazed me. I can go to any meeting, hear any speaker, and it amazes me what I'm able to receive as I listen to the word of God. Because the Holy Spirit is our true teacher, right? And he's opening up our hearts and opening up our eyes. So I came to a place where I realized, guys, it's all about not my preference, but it's all about his presence. And it changed my life. I'll tell you another story. And this, I had to grow in this area too. Uh, this has been happening here at Believers for years, but our worship leaders would send me new songs they want to do. And years ago, I'd hear the new songs and I'd shoot a bunch of them down. I'd say, I don't like this one. I don't like that one. And then they'd say, why? I go, I just don't like the style. Don't like the style. And, uh, and so I was just thinking that was my job and that's what I should do. And uh, God really dealt with me strongly. And, and yet I said, God, you don't understand. The music that I got saved with, that's the, that's the music. The music that we worshiped with in the glory years, that's the worship music. And, that's, and, and, I, and so I would shoot all these songs down and God dealt with me and he said, I want you to start accepting those songs and I want you to begin to worship to them. And the most crazy thing happened to me because I realized as a disciple, it's not about my preference, it's about his presence. And I began to worship to these songs that had some different styles than I grew up on. And I thought my music was the anointed music, right? And my style was the anointed style. And, and I'd begin to listen to these songs and it was amazing what God did in my life and how they ministered to me. And then I fell in love with these songs. It's amazing. And so now they're on my playlist in Spotify. So now I realize I can worship to any song. It just doesn't matter because it's about his presence. And all I care about is worshiping God and, and just thanking God for everything. So now when they send me songs, I'm looking for one thing. Here's what I look for. Every song they send me, 
Is it scriptural? And so I know enough of the Bible to ask, is it scriptural? And these guys already know that they're sending me, every song they send me is scriptural, but that's all I look at anymore because I've fallen in love with every style because guys, when it comes to being a disciple, it's not about our preference, but it's about his presence. And I think the majority of you are there and I wanna encourage you, but you know what's gonna happen as we walk in to next year and we begin to become this missional movement of disciples making disciples. God's gonna use you to help some others and you're gonna minister to some others and you're gonna be able to tell them stories like I tell you and say, you know what? This isn't about your preference. This is about his presence. And if you begin to draw on the presence of God, can we all agree God changes us and God ministers life to us? And I'm amazed when I walk out of our worship services, I'm amazed when I walk out of uh, messages where I'm not preaching. I'm amazed at what God shows me. It's an absolutely amazing thing. So I've shared three out of the five guys, but now we're going to move to another level because these two young uh, pastors, they are incredible communicators. So Borman, you're going you're gonna to move off the stream. Pastor Joe Jr. is coming, and then he's going to share some really cool campus vision, but he's going to finish up the lesson there. Pastor Ryan's coming here to finish up the message. And so as we make that change in Borman here in Warren, can we give it up for these young pastors that do just an absolutely incredible job? Man, I'm so, I'm so excited to share with you tonight. And I was thinking about just what we're talking about today, this, this idea of discipleship. And I was thinking back to my life. I've grown up in the same church my whole life. If you don't know my story, I've never known another church. And uh, our church started in 1983. I was born in 1986. So I was born three years into the church, but this has been my life. And I remember the moment, I was thinking back to the moment where I discovered discipleship. And actually, what, the, the moment I can trace back to in my life, it happened with my youth pastor. His name was Pastor Mark. And I remember we were getting ready to go on a missions trip and he, he was always trying to get our attention because if you're a youth pastor, Lord knows, man, you got to do whatever you can. You got to pull out all the stops and so, or they will eat you alive. That's just the facts. And so he brought a body bag on stage, you know, like a body bag, like you from a crime scene, you know? And so we're all like, I'm too young to even know what a body bag is probably, but, but he brought this body bag on stage and we're getting ready to go on this missions trip. And he said, listen, you are about to crucify your flesh on this missions trip. You are about to learn what it means to die to yourself. Remember, Jesus said this. He said, if you want to be my disciple, then you have to be committed to following me and carry your cross daily. And I remember he came up with this slogan. He said, anytime our flesh wants to scream and say, I don't want to do that. Anytime we get uncomfortable, I'm just going to yell. He had a really deep voice. He said, I'm going to yell, body bag it. And so we had this whole thing. We're in the middle of the jungles of Peru. And if we started complaining because there were mosquitoes the size of our head, he would just say, body bag it, you know. But to this day, that is a part of who I am. And I can't tell you how many times I don't feel like waking up and being a disciple. I don't feel like being a fully committed follower of Christ, but it's who I am. I'm, I've identified as a disciple. You couldn't talk. I wouldn't know how to live another way. And, and this, is, this is what I really believe we're doing tonight. I believe that what we're doing tonight is not so much taught as it's caught. And I, I think for most of us, we can look back in our life to similar moments where it's like, I will never unhear that. I will never unsee that. I, I can't go back to the way that I used to live because I have seen God and what he wants to do in my life and I can't live another way. And so that's my prayer for you. And I, I wanna just cover two final points and then I'm gonna share with you some exciting vision and we'll go home, all right? So here's, here's the first point, and it's really point number four, picking up where Pastor Joe left off. Number four, you might be a disciple if 
you're committed to community. You might be a disciple if you're committed to community. You know, most people think that the word church was around right when the church got its start, but the word church actually has Germanic origins and it didn't come until hundreds of years later. So when they would talk about this movement of people that were Jesus followers, they called them two things. One, they would call them the way. They would say, I belong to the way. Mandalorian, this is the way. That's, that's not a new idea. This is where they got it. But then they would call themselves the ecclesia. And this was a Greek word. And I want to read to you what this Greek word means. It means a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place, an assembly, an assembly of the people convened in public. And so right out of the gate, as Jesus establishes his church, he is calling it by a gathering. He's saying, hey, one of the things that people will know about my church when they describe it is that they gather together. They do life together. They are committed to community. And you can find this all throughout the scriptures, but let me read you one example. This is Acts chapter two, verse 46. If you're new to, to where this is in the Bible, this is right after Jesus has ascended into heaven. The church is growing rapidly. And this is what the church looked like in those days. Listen to this. Every day, every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. This would have been big church, like what we did this morning. They'd gather together and they'd worship and and someone would speak a message and, and they would encourage and challenge them. But then they broke bread in their homes and they ate together. There's that word again, with glad and sincere hearts. This would have been their version of connect groups. And then verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, I love that it says all the people because here's what we see. This was an all skate. If anybody decided they wanted to follow Jesus, what they were committing to was doing life together. They were committed to community. And I love how it ends. It says, and people were added daily. So as they were committed to community daily, people were added to the kingdom of God daily, right? And I really believe this, that togetherness is the breeding ground for the miraculous in our community. Togetherness is, God is attracted to it. He's drawn to it. The Bible says when the Holy Spirit came, they were all together in one room. And so when we gather together on nights like tonight and eat way too many carbs and drink coffee at 6 p.m., I mean, who does that? But, but as we gather together and we worship, what we are doing is we are drawing the presence of God into a place and we're committed to community. Now, let me ask you something. If you were the enemy and you saw what God was doing through community, wouldn't you do anything you could to stop them from gathering together? You would do anything you could to distract them to convince them that that wasn't where they needed to be. This is the greatest lie that the enemy sells our culture today, that it's better to live alone. That's the lie, that I can just do it on my own, that I can make it without people. The only problem with that is the more alone you are, the less alive you are. And when we do life on an island, then God can't work in our life. He works through others together. I wanna show you a picture of a disciple. This is a picture that that I uh, brought up. Let's take a look at this guy. They, they call him, they call him, what do they call him? The big nut. I just like that. His name is really John Peters. And uh, if you go to an Ohio State game, you are going to see John Peters. Has anybody ever met him? He walks around and he hands out like necklaces that he makes with acorns, right? Now, here's what this guy is. Oh, you're right. But can you get big Buckeyes on a necklace? I don't know. But listen, at the end of the day, can I tell you what this guy is? He is a disciple of Ohio State football. That's what he is. He is a fully committed follower of the Buckeyes. 
This is who he is. And I can tell you this, I promise you, he's, he's never missed a game to the best of his ability. He's probably gone there sick. He's, he's woken up early and driven a really long way. He stayed up late. Get this, they love him so much that they fly him to away games. That's pretty cool. But he is a fully committed follower of the Ohio State Buckeyes. And it's, it's interesting to me because I see so many parallels in really what God is calling us to do. If you've ever been to an Ohio State game, I'm sure many of us have. My wife and I got to go, and she doesn't even really like football. And we were in the nosebleeds this one. It was the year they won the championship. We were in the nosebleeds, and it was like against Buffalo, like opening game, as high as you could be. And I have never experienced a more infectious, contagious atmosphere. It was crazy. You could, it was palpable. You know what I'm talking about. 100,000 screaming fans in an arena, all on the same team, all going in the same direction, all committed to gathering together for one purpose. And I think this is a small glimpse of really what God is asking us to do as the church. On a very small scale, this is what God is asking us to do. Can you be committed to community, to gathering together? And let me just ask you something. As amazing as the Buckeyes are, how much more can we be passionate about being the church of Jesus Christ? This is what God is calling us to, to be committed to community. This, this is my prayer. My prayer is this, that we would do it all together. I love when I come here because BC knows how to laugh and have fun. If you could ever just be like backstage while the band's getting ready, there's always something they're laughing about. If you could come get in the huddles with the host team and, and security and the coffee team and our dream team rally, we're always cutting up and having a great time. I really believe that God's people ought to be defined by the joy that they have. So we celebrate together and, and we rejoice together and we worship together. But listen, we also, we also grieve together. And we walk through pain together and we walk through loss together. We do it all together. I always think about the parable of the lost sheep. Remember, there's these 100 sheep and, and the shepherd realizes that he's lost one and he goes looking for him or her. Have you ever thought about how a shepherd would even know that out of 100 sheep that one was missing? Well, I believe it's because they did so much life together. They were so committed to community together that he knew all of their names. He probably had every one of his sheep named and, and he knew what they looked like. And, and, and then he would go looking for them. And I bet every night he counted them, right? He was the first person to count sheep before he went to bed because he was a shepherd that cared for his people. And this is what the community of Christ is called to look like. And so I bet like when he, when he lost the sheep, I bet he started looking frantically. Then he went up to some of the sheep and he said, where's your buddy? And they said, they've been a bad boy. And they moved away. <laughs> that was a bad <laughs> dad joke. Nailed it. Anyways, couldn't resist. But he went looking until he found the lost sheep. Can I just tell you, we are not here to gather together in a big group just so we can feel better that we had more butts in the seats. If the only reason we're doing this is for bucks or butts, then we might as well go home. And we have enough of that in America, but here's why we're doing this. Anytime someone comes to Believer's Church, what they always tell me, as amazing as the worship is, as incredible as the messages are, and all of the amazing things we have for kids, and, and all of it, the thing that stands out to people when they come here is the family. And they say, I've never felt like I was so valued and I was so part of something. Why? Because we have a community of people that are committed to gathering together. And so here's my challenge to you. Many of you are already doing this. And some of you, this is, this is going to be like a, a light bulb moment for you. You're, I, I really believe that if you're wanting to go deeper in your relationship with God, then you're one commitment from community away. 
It's just a decision to say, you know what? I want to do life with people, and I don't want to just be in rows, but I want to be in circles. I want to do what God is calling me to do, and there's something beautiful that happens there. Here's the fifth and final one. This is good. You might be a disciple if you've moved from me to we. You might be a disciple if you've moved from me to we. I love that we're calling this team night because ultimately, here's what a team is. A team is a group of people that have laid aside their personal ambition, their personal preferences and goals, and they've said, we are gonna work together to achieve something for the common good. That's what a team is. Another way to say it is, hey, we have moved from me to we. And anytime you see a a team of any kind where their individual goals outweigh their goals as a team, they don't do very well, do they? And so ultimately, we wins. This is really the journey of discipleship. You could sum up maturity in the journey of discipleship by saying, hey, I want to move from a me-centered life to a we-centered life. The Apostle Paul talked about this. He said, hey, this is my goal. He would talk in these terms. I want to help you go from a baby believer to a full-grown, mature adult, a full-grown, fully mature believer in Christ. And then he'd say, hey, I want to move you from milk to meat. I want to help you get out of the basics, which are great, and I want to help you get to where God wants you to go. And I brought just a little example because I want to just kind of show you what I mean. I want you to think about your family table, especially if you're in a growing family and you got a lot of kids. All of us know someone. At some point, we were probably in a family like that, right? Or at least we have some friends. In every family that's a growing family, there's this one chair that's a little bit different around the table. It's, uh, it's usually a little bit messier. There's corn and peas and macaroni and Cheerios all over the place, you know? There's way more food going on the tray and around them than there is going in their mouth. Who's sitting there? It's the baby in the high chair, right? Now, babies, they wear bibs. And babies say, it's all about me. And they should. Babies live a me-centric life, right? And that's good. Some of y'all are in that stage where you're teaching your kids how to eat like baby food, you know, like real big people food instead of milk. And, you know, you've got to like, it's a big production. I remember we would be like, all right, open your mouth. And we go, you know, it's this big, just for one bite. And they're going to spit out like 75% anyways. You know what I'm saying? But, but ultimately, here's the goal. We want them to grow. And so there's a high chair at the table. Now, let me ask you something. Does anyone ever get mad at a baby for being a baby at the table? No. I have these cute little nieces and, and little cousins, and we'll be at the table, and they, they make incredible amounts of noise. You forget how loud babies are, you know, when your kids are 13 and 11, but like they're making noise, and they're just launching their food at people, and like, and I love it. I'm like, give it up, because I don't have to go home with them. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, I can just give them things and tell them yes to everything, but, but listen, I'm watching them, and their favorite words are no. In mine, right? This is a fa- babies love mine. Toddlers, mine. And, but no one gets mad at them. Why? Because this is just a part of their maturity. Now, watch this happen in churches. Churches ought to be the place where there's all kinds of spiritual babies. We ought to have babies running around with bibs spiritually all over the place. And what's a baby? It's just a new, believe, a new believer. It's somebody that's been born into the kingdom of God. And I watch a lot of people with religious mentalities. And when babies come to church, and they don't know how to talk like Jesus yet, and they don't know how to walk yet, and and they're kind of messy, and they're making messes in their diaper, sometimes church people push them away. But I love that we are a church full of people that that realize this. 
really the best place for a baby to be, to learn from grown-up believers, is to be around believers who are grown up. And so there's something about pulling up in a high chair and sitting next to your big brother and your big sister and your uncle and your aunt, and you see them using a fork. And you, say, you see them saying, can you pass the mashed potatoes, please? And all of a sudden, it starts to give you an awareness that there's more to the experience that you have not experienced yet. And growth begins to happen. And so this is really what God is asking us to do. As in our journey of discipleship, I want you to just ask this question. All of us are at a different place in our, in our journey. But am I still in the me phase or am I in the we phase? Now, I just I brought another example because after the me phrase phase, after bibs, we graduate to this new place because babies wear bibs, but adults wear aprons. Babies wear bibs, but adults wear aprons. I want you to I want you to think about this in your family during the holidays. For years, this is how I was. I would come to the holiday dinner and I would pull up to the table and I would receive from the table and I never once thought that I needed to bring anything. And for many years, I didn't need to. But then there came this moment. I remember I was probably like 17, 18 years old. And I remember my mom saying, hey, honey, this year, I want you to bring something to the table. Now, thankfully, she didn't ask me to bring a turkey the first year because I would have royally messed that up. I'm pretty sure I had like $48 in my checking account. And I think I brought some cranberry ginger ale and some cookies from CVS. You know what I'm saying? Like, but like, I was so proud to have a contribution to the family. And, and then I started to kind of just grow in, in, in my maturity. And then I started to bring more and I started to take more responsibility. And it just came in waves. Now, I want you to listen to this scripture. This is 1 Peter 5, 5. It says, and all of you must put on the apron of humility to serve one another. How about this? This is our savior speaking in John chapter three, three through six. Jesus knew that the father had put him in complete charge of everything that he came from God and was on his way back to God. So he got up from the supper table. He set aside his robe and he put on, you guessed it, an apron. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the feet of the disciples, drying them with his apron. Sometimes all we need to do is just look at our language to know where we are. So sometimes I'll have a conversation with someone and, and I actually really appreciate these conversations. It just helps me to locate where they are. They'll say, hey, I really like your church. Hey, I really like that program you guys do. Hey, I really like that worship that you have. And really, here's, here's how you can know you've started to move beyond a baby believer to a mature adult follower of Jesus. It's when I just don't, I don't just speak in yous and thems. I speak in me and us and we. And so here, this is why I love a room full of people like this, because what you've done is, is you said, hey, when I see a problem, it's my problem. When I see a challenge, it's how are we going to fix it together? Babies say that's your problem. Mature followers of Jesus say, how can we tackle this together? Just this week, I had somebody, a beautiful person that's been coming here for years, and they, they saw kind of a hole in our system. And instead of sending me like a nasty email saying, hey, you need to fix this, get this together, or I'm out of here. You know what they did? They said, hey, I'm noticing we could use a little bit more of this. How can I help? And it was the most amazing, mature conversation. And we arrived at the end of this, and we're like, hey, I think we could do something incredible together. We're almost done here, and we're going to turn to the, 
to the vision and, uh, and, and be done. But I, I want to read this. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 44. And I want to say this. If you're here, I invited some people here that you're, you're like, hey, I'm not sure if BC is for me, but I, I'm really loving what I'm seeing here. And so if you're in that season and you're like, hey, I'm just praying through where God wants me, that's awesome. I don't care where the place is that you pull up to the table and bring something to the table. All I care is just bring something to the table somewhere. Just put on an apron somewhere and serve somebody because I can promise you, you'll start to see growth in your life. But this is Acts 2.44. I want you to listen to the language here. Same passage we were reading earlier, different part. All the believers were together and had everything in common. And they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And I love that because what they were saying is, hey, if you have a need, I have a need. If you have a need, that's my problem. And I'm gonna bring whatever I have to meet that need. I'll give you a really good example of this. Just over the last month, we have this sweet woman that's been coming to BC Boardman. Actually, I, I was um, in CVS and I would see her in Canfield all the time. And I recognized her face, but one of her friends here at the church started inviting her. And then I started seeing her show up here and God was just moving in her life. And then she ended up going through some tough things, uh, went through a separation and also had some incredible hard uh, health problems ended up in the hospital. And so there's her, one of her good friends that invited her here, saw that she needed something. And she came to me and she said, Joe, this is what I'm seeing. She said, do you think we could help her? She said, her problem is my problem. She's only been coming a couple months. Well, I said, well, here are some people I think that could help with this. And so she started a text chain. It's just all these amazing women that just are like, hey, I want to be used by God. And it was so cool to watch just one by one, kind of like a dinner table, like, hey, I can bring the mashed potatoes and I can bring the corn, you know, and I can bring the turkey and just, they all brought what they could. And it's amazing. One person said, I could take her for some rides on this day. And, and another person said, I could be at her house at this time, at this place. And, and I could take her for the doctor's visits. And one by one, I watched the church be the church. And this is my prayer for every person here, that we would come to the place where we recognize that this isn't a company, this isn't a corporation. This is a community. This isn't an organization. This is an organism. And God is doing something. And I pray one day when you look back, I pray that what you remember about this night is not how well Pastor Joe or Joe Jr. or anyone pontificated and waxed eloquent. I pray this would be the night that you remember that God lit something on fire inside of your heart. And in the same way, I remember half a lifetime later what Pastor Mark did as he stood on the stage with the body back and I've never unseen it, and I've never unheard it. I just pray that this would be a place. I don't think BC is destined to be the biggest place. I'm not trying to be the best place, but I pray no one would out love us. I pray no one would out community us. No one would out disciple us. I just pray we would be people that show people that Jesus is real in a practical way right here in the valley. And if you want to be a part of that, I'm going to show you some real practical ways you can do that. And so here's, here's just some basic steps. I'm going to take this off. Here's some basic steps and some things that I want you to see, all right? One, I want you to know this. I'm gonna give you some updates on our expansion. This is the last thing I'm gonna say. But I want you to know this. The building, it's not really about the building. And in our campus in Warren, there were many years where there were things about our building I didn't love. And one year I, I was our youth pastor and I was kind of complaining to God. And I'm like, God, we need a cooler building. We would, you know, a, a revival would hit if our building was cooler, you know, like those silly prayers. And I remember God saying to me, no, no, no. I could build this in a barn if you would love people and the Holy Spirit was there. 
And I'm just telling you, it really doesn't matter what our room looks or what our building looks like. We're blessed here. And there will be a day when we have a bigger space. But until then, we have everything we need to reach our city and disciple people so they can make disciples. But having said all that, here's, here's the update, all right? So one, I just want to say God is good and he knows the beginning from the end. And last year we were telling you, we think our first immediate need is more parking. And our church has not gotten smaller since then. It's gotten a lot larger and we've grown a lot. But what's crazy is when we first said we needed that, we didn't know COVID was coming. We didn't know that the, the, the disciple, the materials for the parking lot were going to double through COVID. And we also didn't know that this building across the street would be ours. And so in the meantime, here's what we know. I'm glad, first of all, I'm glad that we couldn't do it last year and we decided to pump the brakes because just a few short months later, we have this amazing building across the street with tons of parking. And so now whenever we have a big event like Treat Trunk or Christmas or Easter and we're bursting at the seams, we can have our teams park over there and make more room. We can shuttle people. We have ample parking and it probably is gonna save us upwards of $150,000 that could go to other things that we think we actually need right now. So here's a couple of other updates. When we first were approached about the building across the street, we got so excited because it's a big building. You can see it from the road. It's beautiful from the outside. And we were just so thankful that they thought of us. They told us, hey, um, we don't want this to go to some corporation. We want it to stay in God's kingdom. And I just love that they thought that way. And so we bought the building and the more that we looked at it, one of the things that we started praying about is like, how much would it take to get that building to be ready for us? And when we toured through the building, one of the things we discovered is we actually have more square footage here. So there's more acreage over there. There's more square footage here. And so if we were to be able to use that building the way we need to and to make it look like this the way we, we believe we need to, we would have to spend millions of dollars to renovate it. Then we would have to spend millions of additional dollars to add, to add on and expand in that same spot. And someday, I believe in the not too distant future, we will do that. But one thing we are committed to is we are not going to go into debt as a church and carry the load of debt and then not be able to do the ministry we exist to do. So we've always determined in our 40 years, we're gonna move at the speed of resources and people as we grow. And so I wanna share with you, this is what we feel God's peace about as we prayed and talked about it. There's wisdom in a multitude of counsel. We just kept getting excited about this strategy. So I'm gonna have you take a look. They're gonna just put, first of all, these are the drawings that they made years ago. Um, you can shuffle through those. Let's put up the new blueprint. So almost four years ago now, we paid a company, it's called Stephen Berry, to do a blueprint for us. And since then, we've looked at our needs and we're like, you know what? We think our needs have changed over the last three years. And we really prayerfully ask God, what do we want to change and do differently? And so we've determined that there's two different phases to this. And if somebody wants to write a check for a couple million dollars, we can start tomorrow, okay? So I'm just throwing that out there. But for one, we know we need way more space. If you ever come at the 11 a.m., it's a little uncomfortable. Thank you for bearing with us. The 9 a.m. is filling up, and we know it's only going to grow. And so we know eventually we want to have a larger sanctuary, and so that is definitely coming. But what we know for sure first we want to do, and we believe in the early new year, we're going to roll this out. We believe we can do it quickly, raise the funds and break ground quickly, is a kid's facility and expanding with a kid's wing. And so this is a brand new kid's wing that we'll be adding. And then when we go through that, we'll have our very own room for Pathways, which is exciting. We'll, we'll have a space for them. We'll have, yeah, we can give it up for all of our special needs people. Y'all have probably seen our kitchen. It's kind of generous to call it a kitchen. It's like a closet with a sink in there. 
there will be a beautiful kitchen that we'll have in this new, uh, in this new thing. We'll have a beautiful outdoor patio area. That's a fenced-in basketball court because I love basketball. Just throwing that out there. But, but here, here's what's cool. In our second phase, which could happen very quickly, we're going to move at the speed of resources. This, what we're currently in, is going to become another lobby. And so this is the current lobby, and it will open into where our sanctuary is. And everything we did is designed to have community. So one of the things I can tell you, as amazing as our campus is in Warren, it's a mega facility. There are like 18 different exits, and it's really not designed for connection and community. It's really easy to come late and leave early. There's, some, there's a secret sauce happening here where you have to get by like 55 friendly people in the lobby. And I mean, are y'all with me on that? Like there's something to that. We don't want to lose that. And so um, we're going we're gonna to build something that we believe is going to actually create more community, more sticky factor. And so we're really excited about that. Now, across the street, I'm telling you, I do believe one day we're probably going to be there. I also want to remind you that we own the house that's right out here in front of the road. And so right now, someone is paying off the mortgage. There's two renters. They're paying the mortgage down for us. And at the end of their term, we're most likely going to knock that house down and we'll be able to see our building much more clearly. So even if we stayed in this spot, we'd have a lot of people that could see it from the street. And then in the meantime, here's the cool thing. Across the street, we're renting to, do, to two different people. There's something called Diva Donations in the basement. They partner with Night to Shine. They donate uh, prom dresses to, to girls who can't afford them. It's an amazing thing. And then on the top, there's a small church that's going to be joining in. And down the road, if we say, hey, we like what we have here, we'll still have that property. We might say, we wanna make that our chapel. We think it could be a really great chapel. We think we could do weddings and funerals there, a little bit more traditional than what we have here. We might even have a traditional service the way we have in Warren. And so all of these things are gonna be things we pray about. And what I'm asking you as the core of BC Boardman, can you just pray with us? And uh, you're gonna start to hear us give kind of just baby steps along the way. But in early 2023, we're going to start rolling out what it looks like to be in here. And I'm telling you, by the time we get to this, we're going to need it a whole lot. And so are y'all excited about what God is doing at BC? I could take 45 more minutes answering questions, but what I'll, what I'll just say is put a pin in that. If you got more questions, this is an ongoing conversation. You know where to find me. But the, the point being, we are looking to build disciples. And I really believe that there will come a day where we won't be able to fit in here. We'll have to move to three services. We're going to need that. But most of all, remember, it's never been about getting a bunch of people in a building. It's about getting you into a building so we could fill you up with Jesus, so we can get out of the building and go do what God has called us to do. Can you stand to your feet reverently? And we're going to have one final moment where we watch God do what he does best. We're just going to thank him for how he's moving. Can you just, all over the room, can you just put your attention on God? Just give it a stretch. One more minute because I believe God's still got one last thing he wants to do. Let's lift our hands all over the room. Father, we're so thankful for who you are. We're so thankful for what you've done. And Lord, I pray that individually all across this room, you're just speaking to each of us what our next step as a disciple is. I want you to think about the numbers. There were five of them. You might be a disciple if. Was there one of them that God was challenging you on? It's going to be different for all of them. Can I tell you, I had one that God was dealing with me about. I had one that God was dealing with me about. We never graduate out of that. 
And so whether it was one or it was all five, man, God is just proud of you. We would never be mad at a child for learning to walk and falling. We'd say, keep getting back up, keep learning to walk. You're in the perfect environment for growth and we're excited you're here. And, and here's really what we're asking. Can you just give God your yes? Can you give God your yes? It'll look different. Some of you, God's gonna say, go to growth track. Some of you, God's gonna say, you could serve here. Some of you, God's gonna say, you could start this thing that impacts your community outside of the building. I don't know what your yes is, but just give God your yes. Father, I thank you for everything you did tonight. We say yes to you. And Holy Spirit, we ask you that you would do something unique. And Lord, we're not the only church. We thank you for all the amazing churches we're partnering with. We're on the same team as them. But we thank you that you've given us a unique voice. And there's something you want to do in and through every person here. So would you light us a fire? And would you help us to discover discipleship in a way that changes us forever? It's in Jesus' name we pray.